sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Well, hey there, everyone. I am bummed that I don't get to be there in the room with you for these Christmas Eve services. It is a COVID Christmas uh, for me. Uh, don't worry, I, I don't feel awesome, but I don't feel too badly uh, either. I'm actually uh, doing okay, but you don't want me in the room uh, passing my germs to you. I, I just wanna say how proud I am and how much I appreciate uh, our staff and being flexible and making this happen. I appreciate your flexibility and allowing me uh, to be with you in this way for our Christmas Eve services. Like you, I'm a big fan of Christmas. There's just about everything about Christmas I love. Uh, I even, I'm not even going to complain about the few extra pounds uh, that I've picked up this Christmas thanks to the uh, sweet treats I've had uh, this month. And I'm not just a big fan of Christmas. I don't just love Christmas. I'm fascinated by it. And I think you should be too. Because in some ways, our culture has really perfected what it means to thoroughly engage with Christmas while maybe not even engaging with it at all. And by that, I don't mean that uh, the, the reference of those who are the happy holidays crowd versus the merry Christmas crowd. That's not what I'm talking about. I guess really what I'm trying to say is that there is a way that we have perfected how to hold Christmas close, but also keep it at arm's length too. And I'm probably talking about myself just as much as I'm talking about anybody else. There is this tendency to want to use these few days as a break, as, as a getaway, as, a, as an escape from all the things out in the world and in ourselves that we don't like. I mean, you know what those things are. Maybe it's busyness. Maybe it's uh, family drama or problems. Maybe it's something big out in the world you're just tired of, of hearing about. Maybe it's something that you recognize in yourself. Whatever it is, there is just this tendency inside of me and probably inside of you too that we just want to pretend. Let's just use this time to pretend that everything is okay. And in the face of that tendency, we have said this, Christmas isn't an escape. It's an invasion. And we know it. I mean, we get it. We don't need anybody to convince us that this world isn't quite right. And unless, unless we're ready to announce our moral perfection, we know that we're not quite right either. And this is not a time to pretend. This is not a time to don a thin veneer of festivity and just pretend that everything is merry and bright. It's so much better than that. This is a time when it's safe and good and right for us to get honest about the darkness we're in and the darkness that's in us and remember that light has come. It has come invading and intruding into our darkness. Jesus has brought truth and goodness and hope and healing. This is why Jesus made this statement. This is his promise to you. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This promise is true for everybody. This promise is true for you, regardless of whatever experience or expression of darkness you are in or is in you. And the question is not, is this good? Of course it's good. The question is, is this true? And if you are a skeptic at heart like me, and yes, it's possible to be a pastor and also be a skeptic at heart, but if you are a skeptic at heart like me, you probably love all the things there are to love 
At Christmas, you love the people and the parties and the, and the snacks and the presents and all the stuff that comes along with it. And yet, you're wondering, you're asking, what about the truth claims? What about the religious claims at bottom of it all? And you're, you're probably not the kind of person who wants to upset grandma at Christmas dinner. And you're probably not going to broadcast your doubts and your suspicions and your big questions. But, but there are big questions, aren't there? Like, come on, really? A, a moving star? A baby in a manger? I mean, an angel? Really? A virgin birth? Really? I mean, look around. In a room like this, there are people. They've got their, they've got their questions. There are people who are saying, come on, Really? I want to ask you, are your doubts and questions, are they a welcome guest this Christmas? Are the, are the doubts and the questions of the people that you care about, your loved ones and your, your friends, your friends and your family, are their doubts and questions, are, are they a welcome guest at Christmas too? Now, depending on how you were raised or, or, or whatever religious uh, background that, that you come out of, it's possible that you were told, you know, so you got doubts, you got questions, I need you to stuff them. Doubt your doubts. Put your doubts, put your questions, just put them on a shelf. I don't know what your experience has been. I don't know if it's felt like there's been a lot of safe places to be honest about doubts and questions about Christmas, at Christmas, but I decided, hey, Let's make this a place where we can be safe and honest about whatever doubts or questions we might have. And we're going to do that by engaging Luke chapter 1. I'd love for you to grab a Bible, open it up, and, and follow along with me. Um, if you're still kind of getting familiar with how to use the Bible, um, you, it's broken up into two big parts. The first part is the Old Testament. The second is the New Testament. Luke is the third book in the New Testament. It goes Matthew, Mark, and then Luke. And for those of you who were here last week, you're thinking, wait a second, isn't that the passage you preached out of last week? Yes, it's the exact same text. Don't worry, it's not the same sermon. I'm not that sick. Um, but what we're going to do is we're going to look at the very same passage, but we're going to draw out some different observations. And if any of you are thinking to yourself right now, Rick, I'm, why are you talking about doubts and questions and suspicions? That just doesn't feel very reverent at Christmas. That doesn't feel very appropriate Christmas. That's okay. I, I want to invite you to look again because did you know that doubt was a guest at the very first Christmas? For all the people who would say, I don't know about Mary's story, she would say back to them, that's okay. I doubted my story too. Mary was a big doubter. She wasn't even the first doubter. It was a guy named Zecharias. But if you even have a little doubt in you, you are in good company with some of the people who were primarily involved in the first story of Christmas. We're going to look in Luke chapter 1. I'm going to start with verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting might this be? I don't know how you define doubt. I don't know how you think about it, but here's a way that we can think about doubt together. Doubt is your mind trying to reconcile new information with old information. And this isn't meant to imply that new is better and old is bad, but this is just really how it plays out. Doubt is your mind trying to reconcile new information with old information. And again, I, depending on the kind of culture, religious culture you grew up in and what your background is, you might have been treated like doubt is a five-letter word, but it's really treated like it's a four-letter word. 
And in our church, we, we want to give people permission to doubt and, and ask questions. We want to make it a safe place to do so because from a biblical vantage point, doubt is it's not all bad and it's not all good. It's something that simply cannot be avoided. It's impossible to avoid. Doubt is actually something that's necessary. I mean, think about it. How can you grow? How can you learn? How could you ever change your mind without this? Now, not all doubt is created equal. There are at least a couple of different kinds of, of doubt, and here is the first one. There is a kind of doubt that refuses resolution. And this is the kind of doubt that's a mark of a closed mind, an uncurious mind. And believe it or not, there are a lot of religious people and there are a lot of irreligious people in this category of doubt. And for the religious people who are in this category of doubt, they're shutting down asking questions. Whenever you shut down your mind in this way, it only and always leads to pretend faith. For the irreligious folks who are in this category of doubt, they're shutting down pursuing answers. And whenever you shut down your mind in this way, it only and always leads to pretend freedom. And whether or not we're talking about pretend faith or pretend freedom, it's the same thing that's at the bottom of it all, binding it together, and that's fear. It's being too afraid to look at reality as it actually is. And let me tell you something. You don't want this because this right here is a pathway to a homeless heart. But there's another kind of doubt. And there is a doubt that welcomes resolution. And this is the mark of an open mind, a curious mind, a serious mind. This is the kind of person who is open to being convinced. This is the kind of person who wants to follow the facts, whatever they are, wherever they might lead. This is the kind of person, and I hope that I'm describing you, uh, this is the kind of person who wants to embrace the best explanation for all that we know. This is the kind of doubt that hunts down and chases down answers because it understands that the whole point of doubt is to lead to a comfort with and a confidence with the truth. And my question for you is this, what kind of doubt do you have? We all have it. But which one is it for you? Doubt can feel like darkness, but it doesn't have to. It can dance in the light, and it can be life-giving. We've already seen Mary experienced doubt. She had big questions, but it was the second kind of doubt. When the angel showed up, she wasn't like, oh, look, an angel. I have no questions whatsoever. Isn't this great? No. What did she do? She says this, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. This word wondered right here, it means to take an audit. It is an accounting term. This word really communicates a furious rationality. It is taking stock of everything that's going on. This is what Mary would have been doing. She would have been asking herself, is this a hallucination? Is this real? She's gathering up everything that's happening, all the facts, all the evidence, because she wants to see what is it that's actually going to pass the truth test. This is the kind of doubt that should be a welcome guest at Christmas. I'm curious, do you know Ian Hersey Ali? Uh, years ago, the late Christopher Hitchens described her as the most important public intellectual uh, to probably ever come out of Africa. 
High praise indeed, and probably a bit of an overstatement. There have been many brilliant minds who have enlightened the world from Africa for many centuries. I think my favorite one is probably Athanasius. But uh, she is for sure a brilliant mind, and she may very well be the most important public intellectual to come from Africa in a long, long time. And part of what makes her story fascinating is that growing up in Africa, she started out as a militant Islamic activist. She moved to the Netherlands where she was educated and became an ardent, a strident, a committed atheist. And not only was she a committed atheist up until very recently, she was one of the world's foremost ambassadors and advocates for atheism. Now, the reason that I say up until recently, because it was just a few weeks ago that she announced her embrace of Christianity. And if you look at her story honestly, really, I think that we see a kind of Christmas story that Jesus intended for all people. For her story, it was this. It was getting honest about darkness in the world, darkness that is undeniable and inescapable, but it wasn't just darkness out in the world. It was a realization of darkness in herself, and that ignited doubts, and that ignited questions, and it pushed her to an answer that she never saw coming. This is part of a recent statement she gave. She said, I no longer consider myself a Muslim apostate, but a lapsed atheist. Of course, I still have a great deal to learn about Christianity. I discover a little more at church each Sunday. But I have recognized in my own long journey through a wilderness of fear and self-doubt that there is a better way to manage the challenges of existence than either Islam or unbelief had to offer. I have a lot of respect for her, her her gutsy vulnerability as she is sharing her story uh, openly right now. I believe she's writing a book. I can't wait for it to come out because I want to read more about her story. And she writes it beautifully and brilliantly in this article on Unheard, but it's really in an interview she gave with Unheard that she really unpacks the story. It's not just about darkness out in the world. She talked about this, the wilderness of fear and self-doubt in herself. It was the darkness that she was experiencing in herself, and it was Jesus who brought light to her. It was Jesus who brought truth and goodness and hope and healing. And if you are familiar with the true story of Christmas, it's not hard to see how she really does connect with Mary in a profound way. And maybe she connects with all of our stories too, because there isn't just intellectual doubt, is there? There's also the reality of self-doubt. I wanna return to this exchange between Mary and the angel in Luke 1, but the angel said to her, do not be afraid. There's no reason to fear. Do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel. How, how is this going to happen? How are you going to do this since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her own age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. 
I want to pause and think about this question that Mary asked. How will this be? How is this going to happen? Mary had more than an adequate understanding of biology. She knew the difference between the girls who got a baby bump and the girls who didn't. And maybe her question is nothing more than just, hey man, give me the plan. Let me know how this is going to happen. But just like you and me, she is not a one-dimensional human being. She is complex and we are complex and our questions are often complex too. There's more to it than just what you see on the surface. And in this question, how can it be? Could we also be seeing a mixture and a collision of doubt of God and doubt of herself as well? How is it, oh my goodness, how is it that God could do this with me and for me and through me? And whatever mixture of doubt of God or or doubt of herself was there, I don't really know, but isn't that something that you and I can relate to? And I don't know what it is, the reasons that push you to doubt. They might be different from the reasons that push me to doubt. But isn't it true that we've all had experiences where we are so convinced, we're so certain of our inadequacy, we're so certain of our own inability, we're so certain of our own ineligibility that we doubt, we doubt that God can do something good and beautiful in and with and through us. The message of Christmas is that God is with us and that God is for us. That's what Jesus' name, Emmanuel, means. God is with us and he is for us. And yet there can be this nagging sense of darkness that wants to twist that in our mind and convince us that, yes, God is with us, but really he's with others. And God is for us, but really he's for others. Can God really do in and with and for me all the good that he wants to do for others? I love I love how the angel responded to Mary. The angel did not say, Mary, just believe in yourself. Really, you can do this. No, he lifted her chin and pointed her to the one in whom we can all trust. He said, for no word from God will ever fail. This is not about what you bring. This is not about what I bring. This is about what he brings to the relationship. No thing that God wants to do, no promise that God ever makes, no word from God will ever fail. How do we experience this? How do we know this? How do we encounter this for ourselves? If you don't know who Henry Nouwen was, he was a a priest, he was a theologian, he was an author. I want to share with you something that he had to say. He wrote, compassion asks us to go where it hurts, to enter to the places of pain, to share in brokenness, fear, confusion, and anguish. Compassion challenges us to cry out with those in misery, to mourn with those who are lonely, to weep with those in tears. Compassion requires us to be weak with the weak, vulnerable with the vulnerable, and powerless with the powerless. Compassion means full immersion in the condition of being human. Do you know what Henry Nouwen was talking about when he talked about compassion? It wasn't a what, it was a who. He's really describing Jesus. This is who Jesus is. This is what Jesus does. The very nature of God is love and compassion is love with us. And it is by the loving kindness of God. It is by his compassion that we are to know him and experience him. It is how he draws us to himself and moves towards us. This Christmas, as we think about Jesus, would you think about Jesus in this way? 
Jesus came as incomprehensible strength, wrapped in disarming vulnerability, offering irresistible compassion. He is incomprehensible strength, wrapped in disarming vulnerability, offering irresistible compassion. This is certainly Jesus when he initially came to us, born as an infant. This describes the way that Jesus was on the cross, overcoming sin as a lamb. And this also describes Jesus in his resurrection. I want to turn your attention uh, to a passage that we don't normally associate with Christmas. But what I want us to see is how Jesus approached his friends and his followers who were still in the grip of doubt and darkness, and they did not know how to get themselves out of it. In Acts chapter 1, we read this. After Jesus' suffering, he presented himself to them, his friends and followers, and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Can you see it? Can you see how patient and how slow and how kind Jesus is? For more than a month, he sat with, he explained, he answered again and again, and he showed them again and again and again that they could be confident in and trust in him that light truly had come and light had overcome the darkness. Jesus came as incomprehensible strength, wrapped in disarming vulnerability, offering irresistible compassion. If you have doubts, if you have questions, that's allowed. If you are wondering, that's allowed too, but I want to invite you to experience the full range and the full gamut of what it is to wonder. Would you allow your wondering to also move you to wonder. This is what I want to invite you to do. I want to ask you to pray and invite Jesus to do something in your life, whether you're a believer or not yet a believer, you feel like you're somewhere in between, if that's possible. But would you pray and ask Jesus, would you meet me where I am as I am? This is for all of us. For Jesus to meet you where you are and as you are and to surprise you with awe. In just a few minutes, you're going to sing. You're going to sing a couple of songs, and the second song is going to end with a moment of everyone holding up their candles all over this room. And I want you to, to look around and really take in that moment and allow yourself to remember and to, and to really be overcome by that light has come into the world. And it is a person, and it's personal. And my prayer is for each of us. My prayer is for you that you would receive him, that you would wonder, and that you would worship. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and your kindness. God, we thank you for compassion. And God, there's all kinds of darkness that we're in and that is in us. And maybe, maybe one of the one of the most difficult ways that we experience it is when we have self-doubt and shame and there are things in us that keep us from trusting you and yet you keep leaning in and pursuing us. One person called you the hound of heaven and we are grateful. And I wanna pray for every person who is here now 
that they would see, that they would see the light, that they would be moved to awe and wonder and worship, that God, our confidence and our joy and you would be strengthened. And for any person who does not yet know you, that tonight, today would be the day that they trust in and follow Jesus as King, as the light that has come into the darkness. And it is in his name that we pray. Amen.